0: You're listening to Pastor Don Cherry from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded on April 24, 2022. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find us on all things social, at svbcfamily. This morning, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 19, if you would. We have been in a series trying to, um, I guess you could say, bounce off of the Sunday school uh, series that we've had with Dr. David Jeremiah, you know, where do we go from here? Of course, he was dealing with many prophetic events and everything and how we're seeing uh, those uh, prophecies, you know, make their way into our culture, into our world today and seeing the fulfillment of that. And so basically, uh, the message series that we've had is the believer's hope from the rapture to the millennium. And basically what we're doing is, as believers, so what do we have to look forward to? Of course, the Bible teaches that the next great event that is going to take place is the rapture of the church, okay? The rapture of the believers. Now, we don't know anything leading up to that because unlike the second coming of Christ where Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 said, "Um, uh, there are all these things for you to be looking for, you know, prior to my second coming... We don't see those in indicators when it comes to the rapture. But here's the neat thing about that. Those things, many of those things that Jesus said to look forward to when it comes to the second coming of Christ, we are seeing some of those take place even now, and all which is seven years prior to that happening. So how close are we to the rapture of the church? All right? So that is the next event that we, we as believers will look forward to. Last week, we dealt with the judgment seat of Christ, which the Bible says, you know what? We're all going to appear there, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Listen to me, folks. You're a saved child of God and everything. You're going to be at that appointment. I want you to understand that. You're not going to be able to call and say, hey, Lord, I can't make it today. You know, you're not going to be able to change the date on that. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says, give account okay, of our lives while we're here on this earth. Well, the next great uh, thing that's going to happen there in heaven and all is what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb that the church, who is the bride of Christ and all, we're going to be involved in this great celebration and all that the Bible talks about. Here in Revelation chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles open there this morning, we're going to begin in verse 7. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice. Wasn't that kind of the first song that we sang this morning? And all oh, I will rejoice and i oh, be glad, all that good stuff. So here we go. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Right. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now verse 10, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am your fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, marriage comes in all different shapes and sizes, doesn't it? My wife and I are going to celebrate 47 years next month on the 23rd of, 23rd of May. And by the way, just so you all know, she loves chocolate, Okay. So y'all just keep that in mind with that. But um, uh, uh, different shapes and sizes, you know, from ceremonies at the Justice of the Peace to the elaborate ceremony, if you remember, when Princess Di and um, Prince Charles got married. I mean, that was just like a a blockbuster, you know, for that, going, you know, from one one to the other. Um, How many of you remember, and not too long ago, there was a show on television called Two Broke Girls? Y'all remember that show? And if you have a couple of you remember that, well, Deb and I were two broke college kids. And everything. we got married after our second year in college and all right after the graduation day took place. So those who were there were primarily our family and a few of our friends that were willing to stay an extra day. And it didn't help the fact that we got married in Springfield, Missouri, which I'm from Ohio. She's from New Mexico. So we were in a neutral spot for sure. But um, we think when I when I go back to it, I, I know she can remember. Um, our wedding was interesting. That's the only way to say about it. Um, the fellow who was supposed to do the music was my piano teacher, and all there at college. But uh, he didn't get there until about five minutes before time, and everything. He'd got stuck in traffic. I can't remember what it was. So he got there just in time to dun dun dun. dun you know, for my wife to come walking down. And then during the ceremony, when I saw Deb walking down the aisle and I think my mind just went blank. You know. Of course the first thought was, Don, what are you doing? But no, just kidding. But my mind just totally went blank and during the service there was a couple times I leaned over to Deb and said, What do we do? I lost it. It was gone and she'd have to say, Go here, go there, you know, and direct me through that. And then um, I guess to top it off, there's a couple girls that had to go there in the back and everything um, to hold the cake up because it started doing a leaning tower a piece of thing, you know, so they had to go and hold that thing up and all and get all that. But nonetheless, and everything, we got married and all, we went on our honeymoon to Branson, Missouri. Anybody ever been to Branson, Missouri? Y'all been to Branson? Okay. Well, when we went and everything, Branson was one stoplight and three dogs, I mean, that's all that was there. It's a huge entertainment place now. I mean, it's a great place to go. But there wasn't nothing there, you know, when we, when we were there back then. And uh, so we, we had our three-day honeymoon. I had to be back to work on, uh, on a Tuesday. And we came back with $12 in our pocket, which that was all the money we had to our name and all. But um, wouldn't trade it for a thing. The only thing I've ever told people and everything is I had, if I had to do all over again, I would have married the same girl I would have just waited because I wasn't ready. And from a maturity standpoint, and everything, I, there, I had some growing up to do, everything, but I definitely married the same girl, things. So um, maybe you can remember some things of your own marriage at all. And all maybe you've been to those elaborate weddings, like, "Oh my goodness,, you know, this is something. look how they've got this decked out. Look at how many people are here, and all that good stuff. Well, let me tell you something, folks. probably the greatest marriage that you could imagine of this world, doesn't hold a candle to what we're going to participate in when we get to heaven. The marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride of Christ. Who is the bride of Christ? The church, the New Testament church, those who have been saved during this New Testament era and everything comprised the bride of Christ, you see. And so we're going to be there. We're going to be caught up. We're going to meet him, and we're going to get ready for that. But as I go through... Um, as I go through this thing, I want you to kind of tie in what Christ did in our behalf. Because what we're basically stri- describing is a Jewish wedding ceremony, okay? A Jewish wedding ceremony. And particularly the Old Testament. And you can find it, you know, even more maybe a little detail when you go back to when Isaac when he was looking for his bride. And how that turned out to be. Now, I don't know how the Jewish people do it today. You probably have to talk to Eric a little bit and everything. But I know when you go back in the Old Testament time and the early New Covenant and all, they had a format that you followed. But this is a tremendous uh, uh, thing that we're going to look at. And I think you'll see the tied to, tie together of what Christ has done for us. So let's kind of go through this a little bit. And all, and keep in mind that in, in the ancient Jewish times and all, they had what was called a betrothal process, okay? You might be familiar with that, right? Now, a betrothal is a little bit more than what our engagement process is, okay? A betrothal was often arranged by the parents, okay? And even when the children were just born, one family, two families got together and say, my son's marrying your daughter, and they, they made that agreement. And all. But nonetheless, and all, um, uh, of course, there was that time when they did have the ceremony. And usually in most Jewish weddings back then, and all, um, boys and girls were married by the time they were 18. By the time they were 18, even some, uh, especially the girls as young as 13 and all, were wed. Okay? Were wed through this. Matter of fact, there are many Bible teachers and commentaries that believe that Jesus' mother, Mary, was probably 13, 14 years old. Everything when she gave birth to the Messiah. You know, that was just what took place in Jewish culture. So, first of all, what I want you to understand here is that the bride was chosen by the groom's father. Okay? So once you to get that down, the bride was chosen by the bridegroom's father. Okay? Now I want you to think of that. And everything, well, who was the bride? The church, the New Testament church, okay? How have we become the New Testament church? Through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that we are chosen in God, all right? Now, yes, we have, we have a part of that and everything. We have that free will to accept or reject and everything. But God makes the offer, okay, to come in, to be born again, to be in his family. And the Bible also says that, uh, that faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So with that, what I want you to understand is nobody gets up one day and just, oh, you know what? I think I'll get saved today. No, there must be the hearing of the word of God. There must be the convicting of the Holy Spirit and everything. And those who accept God's offer in that way are chosen. Okay? So in such way, the father has chosen the bride for the bridegroom. All right. This is following right along with just Jewish uh, uh, culture right here. So the bride is chosen by the father. Then next, what takes place is a price is paid. Okay. A price is paid for the bride. Now, why is that? Well, keep in mind and everything, that daughter was a valuable asset to the family. Now, unlike families today, unless you're maybe into farming or, or, or whatever like that, you know, most of the time you have families, and families go different directions even from under one roof. Dad goes to work, mom goes to work, kids go here, kids go there, and such like that. Well, in that Jewish culture, they work together as families. The mother and the daughters and all worked around the home, worked out into the field and all, if needed to. And, of course, the fathers and sons were there. So when a daughter was betrothed, okay, to be married, when she was going to be leaving this family and joining her, bride, her bridegroom's family, listen, there had to be some compensation here. And so a price was paid for this girl to come and be part of this family, all right? Now, what does the Bible teach us? Doesn't the Bible teach us that a price has been paid for us, for our salvation? You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are bought with a price, okay? We are bought with a price. What is that price? The Bible tells us we are not redeemed by corruptible things, but by the blood of Christ. That was the price that was paid for you and I. Now, I do want to say this in the Oftentimes, that verse that we are bought with a price, we tend to stop right there. We don't go any farther. But you need to follow that verse through because after that, the Bible says that you are not your own. In other words, as a child of God, to sit back and say, it's my life. I'm going to do with it what I want to. Listen, you're going to have to come up with some scripture other than 1 Corinthians chapter 6. as The Bible says that, no, if you were bought with a price, if you were a child of God, you were not your own. The only thing we can do as children of God is sit back and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because we belong to him. Do you understand that this morning? We belong to him, don't we? You've all, every one of us have bought things at our home. We bought our home. We bought our car. We bought our snowblower. We bought our mower. We bought whatever like that. You bought that. You paid the price. Well, whose is it? If you bought it, whose is it? It's yours, right? Right? And you know what? You can do with it what you want. I had to borrow my uh, neighbor's mower yesterday because mine died after about 15 years and such. And so I borrowed his to finish my lawn, you know. Well, that's not my mower. So I didn't have a right to do with that mower what I wanted. Now, I can take my mower, and if I want to load it up in the trunk and throw it in the junkyard, you know, that's fine. You know why? Because it's mine, you see. But I don't have a right to do what I want to do with somebody else's possession. Folks, we need to understand we belong to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do we get that? Does everybody get that this morning? You see where I'm coming from? We sit back and it's not say, Lord, this is my life. I'll do with what I want. No, 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 no. This is God's life. This is Christ's life. You know why? Because he paid the price for you. He shed his blood for you. So a price was paid in that. Let's move on. Then after that price was paid, the bridegroom prepares his home in the father's house. He goes back to his father's house. And he prepares a place for him and his bride to stay. Folks, I don't know about you, but have you thought about John chapter 14 for a minute? Where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again and do what? Receive you unto myself. Man, listen, the Lord, what what he has done, he's just following, you know, what was said all the way back in Genesis, you see. When we look at this Jewish wedding pattern here, he's following all things. And by the way, allow me to say this. In our culture today, we are seeing a lot of turning against the nation of Israel. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the nation of Israel is godly or that they're living perfect lives or anything like that. But God made a covenant with them, and God's covenant is still in force. And we need to understand in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless them that bless thee, I will curse them that curse thee. As believers and all, we need to stand side by side the nation of Israel. We need to stand side by side. They are God's chosen people as far as this earth goes. And as I've told you many times before, when Jesus does return, he doesn't come to New York City, he doesn't come to Dallas, Texas, he doesn't come to Paris. He comes to Jerusalem, and there's where he sets up his kingdom, all right? So I just wanted to say that so that you'll understand this. So after that price is paid, the bride, of course, remains, but the bridegroom goes off to his father's house to prepare the place for her. Now, here's the thing, and here's the other thing. The bride prepares for his return, although she doesn't know when it's going to happen. He doesn't tell her, hey, listen, I'll be back on the 10th of next month. He doesn't say, I'll be back in six months. He he doesn't tell her when, because he doesn't know. He doesn't know how long it's going to take him to finish that place. It may take a month. It might take six months. It might take a year, you see. But he's preparing that place for his bride, you see. He's preparing the bridegroom, or the bride, uh, excuse me, the bride does not know, when he's going to return, but she keeps herself ready. She continues in her work. She continues in her labors and such as like that, but she's listening. She's waiting because she knows at any time her bridegroom is going to return. What's the message to you? Since we are the bride and we see here that the bride, she remains active. She continues to, 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 to do the duties that are before her. What does that tell you and I as the church? We need to continue to do the work of the church. We need to be busy about doing the Lord's work. What is that? Going into all the world, proclaiming the gospel, and all baptizing them, teaching them until the Lord returns, you see. That's why we're here, folks. We're not here to make you comfortable. We're not here to sing the songs you like. We're not here and all to preach the messages that will tickle your ear and figure out. No, we have a job to do as a church, and that is to leave this place and to be salt and to be light so that others can know of Christ. Wherever it might be, whoever you might come across, you see. And listen, I'm, I'm too old to not be honest with you and everything. Look, I don't care what your age is. We talked about it on Sunday school this morning. God has a plan and God has a purpose for your life. And that is to continue until he takes you home. Maybe you can't get out and knock doors. Maybe you can't get out and build a bus route. Maybe you can't get out and run after children all over the gym or whatever. Maybe you can't do that thing. But you sit back and say, God, what would you have me to do? God will reveal that and do so. Be faithful until the Lord calls you home. I don't find anywhere in Scripture where it says, hey, you're 65 years old. Go fishing. I don't see that. Be faithful. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Now, here's something really cool. (laughs) So when the bridegroom finishes that place, him and his entourage, and that depends on the family he was from. Maybe it's just him. Small family, he's got maybe a couple of attendants with him. He's from a huge family, he might have more. But what he does now is he makes his way to where the bride's at, okay? Okay? And when he gets on the outskirts, when he gets on the edge of the community there, one of the entourage blows a trumpet and shouts, The bridegroom comes. Where have you heard that before? Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The last trump. The shout, you see. The Bible tells, you see how this is following? You see what we're seeing here? everything In this basically Jewish wedding ceremony, we have seen what Christ has done for his bride and how he's going to return to bring her where he's at. And so when the bride hears that trumpet, hears that sound, she's ready to go. She's got her bags packed and everything. It's not, oh, oh hey, you know like most women are today, just give me a half an hour. No, that's not going to happen you got to be ready to go. Because after all, the Bible does say when that takes place, what happens in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be with the Lord, you see. But here's the thing. Are you listening? Are you listening this morning? Are you preparing yourself? Are you expectant? Because here's the thing. We don't know, do we? The Lord did not give us a date. He did not say, hey, Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, I'll be back on July 4th, 2022. He didn't say that. He just said he was going to come back. And we have to be ready. Just like the bride had to be ready to hear the shout and the voice. Now, next. The bridegroom now receives his bride. And he returns to the father's house for the wedding consummation and the celebration. So here's the question. Does anybody have any idea? And Eric, you can't answer this. Does anybody have the idea how long this Jewish wedding and ceremony took place? It takes place seven days. It's one week. Where have you heard that? Go to the book of Daniel. Daniel's 70th week. What's it talking about? It's talking about the tribulation period, which does describe most marriages today. But anyway, you know, you got got this tribulation period that's taking place here on the earth while in heaven, the church, the bride, and the bridegroom are celebrating. Celebrating, you see. One week, one uh, seven-year period. Then once that is over, now the church is forever together with Christ, you see. There's things to take place after that, and we'll deal with those over the next couple of weeks. But I want you to see here this, because we're going to be part of this. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that you and I, we're going to be part of the judgment seat of Christ, amen? We must all appear. We must all give account as a child of God. Nobody's going to get out of that appointment, okay? This is something we, we're, we're, we're going to participate in. We're also going to participate in the marriage of the Lamb, okay? Participate in that ceremony and the bride and the bridegroom forever together, you see. And that's when you get into Revelation 21 and 22 and you see all those things. So here's what I'm talking about, friends. Here's what I'm talking about. The main word, I guess you could say, of this message series has been hope. Has been hope. Where does your hope lie today? What do you find hope in? What do you find hope in when you look around this world, you know? What are the people of Ukraine, where are they finding their hope today? What about other countries where there's civil uh, disturbances? Where, where are they finding hope today? We're even hearing in, in, people in America, you know, I've, a couple of uh, individuals that I've worked with and everything, they're at Lowe's, that I've worked with and everything, going through the stress of the day, and they make the statement, say, I can't wait to get home and start drinking, We're finding hope today. Folks, you and I have hope in Christ. We have something to look forward to, you see. But until then, until then, are we faithful to the calling of God today? Are we faithful in our individual lives? Are we faithful as a church, as a body? Because as long as we're still here, guess what? The Great Commission is still in force. And that is to you, and that is to me, and that is to go into the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the message. That's just like what Brian was talking about. I've been over in Europe. I know. know, We might think Europe is the cradle of Christianity in some ways. But if you go over there today, you go to England, you go to Wales, you go to probably the Netherlands, other places like that, you will see church buildings, church buildings that have been turned into restaurants, been turned into skating rinks, been turned into shopping malls, because they're none. And on any given time, maybe only 1% of the population in church on any given Sunday. You see, we don't think of that as a mission field, but yet it is. Sometimes we don't think of America as a mission field, but believe me, it is. Believe me, it is. And guess what? We have the message that's needed. Are we going to be faithful with that message?